position and just like in speech therapy. But I mean, the same could be said, you have a speech pathologist that comes in on career day and it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, me as a black person, I can, I can go to grad school. And it's like, I know for a fact, we have the capability to provide these resources for the, the underserved, even uh, as far as I wrote down, like for these representatives to go to undergrad schools and do recruiting. Yeah. I mean, religious groups, they do it on, on the campus and you see people do it for fraternities and sororities. I mean, mm-hmm. all right, so yeah. careers, and I know they have like career days and stuff like that, but I don't know if they're going to, you know, HBCUs. Cause I, again, I didn't hear about speech therapy, like for real Melanie, I did not hear mm-hmm. about it until I was like 21, 22 years old. So just think about all the other black men and women that see these great jobs and careers, doctors and nurses, but like, they don't know about speech pathology. And when they do, they don't have the scholarships. So, right. Which gets into my other point, ASHA, scholarships. Yeah. You know, the National Black Speech and Language Association, they have scholarships. Hello, hello, everyone. E hola, hola. Welcome to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show. I'm your sis, Melanie White Evans. I'm a bilingual pediatric speech language pathologist and cultural competency consultant here to learn with you and discuss more ways we can uplift culturally diverse communities in our professions in day-to-day lives. This podcast is for you if you're ready to address the disparities in the United States healthcare and academic systems and are looking for more ways you can be culturally competent in your careers. Tune in weekly as I introduce mind-shifting topics that will support service-based professionals and students alike on our cultural competency journeys. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show. We have here Kevin Simmons, otherwise known as the Singing SLP, here to talk about his experience navigating his clinical fellowship, being a minority within the minority group as a Black male SLP, and also how we can use our voices to create change in our field. I'm so excited to have Kevin here with us today. The reason why I contacted you, Kevin, is because I was so amazed, first of all, by the quality of your content. I really appreciate just how it's just just crisp chef's kiss, like crystal clear. (laughs) It's a great content and um, it seems like your mission is great. You just bring sun, honestly, to our community. I also checked out the videos that you post on YouTube also, so that's amazing. I love the creativity you bring, the creative songs for the students and our clients. So I'm super excited to have you here. Well, thank you. Man, you know how to make a brother feel good. Thank you for the work you're doing. Yeah. So like Melanie said, I'm the singing SOP. A little bit about me, I can talk more about it. Uh, later on in the podcast, but I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I've always had a passion for kids. We'll get into my why, but I've always had a passion for kids and just making people smile. Um, That's part of my why, Um, but I am 27, uh, getting ready to finish my CF. Super excited to go on more adventures and um, do some CEUs and try to find my target because um, I love working with kids that have apraxia. I love language disorders. So I'm trying to find, you know, the one route I can just hone in on and really specialize. But again, thank you for having me. Uh, well, we'll definitely get into um, as far as like finding your route and just your journey with that. But let's start with your why. Why did you even join the field? Okay my mind went into a million different arenas. Uh, But I actually had dinner with an old friend of mine and it kind of reminded me of the main reason why I got into speech therapy. So long story short, this older female, she was at a physical therapy office and I was just doing this job as a technician to try to find and figure out what I want to do for the next couple of years. as a technician, you know, you help 
these individuals with their exercises. And as I was talking to her, uh, we were just bringing up stories and she was talking about having an SOP and I didn't know what that entailed. Uh, I've never heard of a SOP, even though my brother had a speech therapist when he was younger. I just thought that, you know, he was going off to see some lady for, I don't know, to play games, but. Yeah, um, that's pretty much what we do. We have to kiss LPs. Right. <laughs> but was just talking with her and it, it was in that moment, you know, when you just like have a surreal moment where it's like, hmm, I kind of want to just go with it and see what happens. But just having conversations with her, it was like so enlightening to hear that wisdom and uh, to see a smile on her face just with me sitting with her. So in combination of that and then working with kids at summer camps, I just, I, I found a lot of reasons why I wanted to help people find their voice per se. I know that maybe like the cliche answer we yeah. all have, but I mean, that that's life and that's so exciting to be able to give someone the ability to communicate. Yeah, so, yeah. That, along with some other several factors, my best friend, his mom passed away from ALS and, you know, closer to the years that before she passed, I wanted to be able to give her a device and be able to communicate with um, her son and her family and myself. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case, but I was able to learn a lot from that augmentative, you know, communication. So. Yeah, there's a lot to my why, but the main one is uh, just seeing people smile and being able to communicate with them just makes me so happy. Well, we're definitely so happy that you're here. I just can't stop thinking like, I'm so happy he's here. I'm so happy he's here. So I would like shout out to the, it was a PT, right? Shout out to the PT yes. who kind of gave you that nudge to start, to start the studies and the right. process and everything. Right. So let's kind of get into the nitty gritty because I definitely okay. want to know more about you and your journey, why you started and definitely just any insight you can give us on how we can be better in the work that you do. First, what settings are you in? I know you said pediatric. Are you also, do you also do home health or anything? Or just kind of tell us about that work. Yeah, so I ironically love adults and I've like started to miss out on that. And I, I don't know, I'm going to battle between that once I finish my CF because I love working in the outpatient hospital setting when yeah. I was doing my rotation in grad school. But yes, right now I'm at a pediatric private practice Monday through Thursday and your boy is putting in work. It's <laughs> not for the faint of heart, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so Friday, Saturday, I'm at another clinic and I go to the school and help out there. Mostly just articulation, but yeah, it's a it's a long week, Monday through Saturday. Oh, get those hours. <laughs> get those hours in too. Right. Um, but like I said, I have thought about the adult setting. Um, mm -hmm. When I was at my outpatient rehab, um, it was just loved it being able to deal with cognitive disorders. And again, part of the reason why I was talking to adults and like entertaining them with song and dance and, you know, they were like, what is this kid doing? But it was fun, you know? So I, I would like to see where that heads in the near future. Yeah. But yeah, I'm loving the kids right now. And they're, they're pushing every button. You know how kids are. They oh, are. yes. Trust me. I know. It's Saturday while we're filming this. So I'm still coming off of the energy from the week. And yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yes, yes, yes. I, I'm also at a private practice. I started in the schools. So this okay. is my first year. Like I did private practice as an SLPA. But this is my first year, like, in a private practice, doing the back-to-back-to-back -back -back sessions. Yeah. And it's rewarding, but it's also a lot. It's very tiring. And so, yes, the weekends are kind of for regrouping. So, yes, you are definitely putting in a lot of work. So, hats off to you and your CF year. You're going to get all the experience you need. My question for you, then, is what would be your apprehension to kind of getting your feet wet more in the adult settings, maybe thinking of doing part-time or something like that as you do full-time in the schools? What would that look like for you, ideally? Oh, that's good. I've thought about the schools and 
The only reason why I'm a little hesitant with the schools is just the IEPs, but then again, I mean, in the private practice setting, we're writing all day, so it kind yeah. of bounces out. But even with some of the kids I have online, there's a online program that allows the kids to see me, and they're technically part of an online student program. So they have IEPs, and I don't have to like necessarily write them, but Again, it just reminded me of my like, ah, let me start off in private practice first, but we'll see what happens. It pertains to the adult setting. I kind of like the rush and the hustle and bustle of hospital setting. I'm able to have a focus. And then, like you said, like at the end of the week, you can kind of recuperate, but I'd love to have, you know, a part-time job at a hospital setting where I'm able to work weekends and, you know, have my mental time, but also have enough time to work and go throughout the week. Maybe that's in the pediatric setting where it's a good balance of both, but that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that a lot. Thought of it as like, oh, I'll make the switch over to the adult setting or, oh, I'll just stick with but given our jobs, career is so flexible, mm -hmm. so beautiful. So beautiful. And that that is that really is a pro right. of being a speech pathologist. You can really do anything at the same time. Have you thought about travel? <laughs> I love that you asked me that question. So I will never forget. Um, I met some in quotation seasoned SLPs my wow. first ASHA convention in 2019, okay. and they're a black woman, and they're just like, "Do travel SLP, do travel SLP." I wish I would have done it when I was younger and everything. Um, it's something to think about. It's not necessarily part of my long-term plan, but I'd want to do travel SLP just because I do love traveling. I do love language immersion. I do right. love this kind of getting my feet wet into different cultures. So I love that you asked me that question. I don't know. Food yeah. for thought. Uh, I don't know. That's something I'd kind of had to think about. I don't know what my apprehension to it would be. I think it's just because how my mind works is kind of like, while I can be creative and think of other ways to get the job done, it's still kind of like, this is my goal. This is my trek. But yeah. again, I do love that you asked that question. That's something I'm going to have to think about because yeah, I just got that on my feed and I'm like, man, could I go to LA for a couple months, go back to, I mean, like you said, mentally, I think I could, but it's just like, yeah, you find your set, you're sitting and it's like, oh no, you got to move. So yeah. I, yeah. I have a friend. She's an old classmate from undergrad. She graduated from a school in North Carolina, but she's a travel SLP. I think she's in Hawaii right now. Okay. Um, yeah. And so she's working with adults, though. She's not working with kids. So I, I'm actually going to want to reach out to her and see if she how she thinks. But she's been doing it since she graduated. So I guess she loves it. Yeah. I mean, Hawaii, that's not bad. To, <laughs> not that yeah. Bad. <laughs> I would love to be in Hawaii right now. I'm I'm really over this cold. Um, so tell us about your CF experience, how that's been for you. Yeah, um, it's been rewarding. Like I told you, I, I've been challenged in ways that I didn't think I would be challenged just coming from grad school. I think a lot of grad students, myself included, had this idea like, okay, we'll have our CF mentor, but we can just do stuff by the book and like, we'll be good. But when things by the book don't happen by the book, <laughs> like you got to be all right thinking this person, this kid is on the floor, regulated, and I'm trying to work on articulation. I can't work on articulation right now. We got to shift things and all right, let our focus be how are we going to regulate? How are we going to talk about our emotions? Um, so it's been unique in a way because Melanie, I'll be honest, I'm a perfectionist. I am. A, yeah, we. Are, I think we all are. Honestly, yeah. it's the yeah. hard part is loosening our grip a little bit when the kid right. just wants to do whatever they want to do. Yeah. Right. So like even in the beginning of my CF, I was like, "What? No, I can't write this in the notes. Like, no, I have to be able to write. We worked on articulation. Right. But it's been unique to be able to 
have those experiences and be able to shift my attention. And that even like goes as far as to how I'm lesson planning and how I'm individualizing each treatment for a kid. Mm -hmm. And even before that, I think I was structuring, I mean, making it so tedious and so Mm -hmm. exhausting on myself. But as you know, as SOPs, like we have to be quick on our feet and also we have to have that work-life balance. You can be Mm -hmm. a great SOP, but like you gotta have time for yourself. So it's, it's been a point where first couple months I was just like, it was just work. There is no balance at all. It was just work. I was thinking how I can write these perfect notes, but towards, uh, like even now I'm starting to find that balance where, uh, I'm individualizing treatment for this kid, but also knowing that, Hey, something may pop up and this may be their worst day. And you even talked about it in your previous podcast. Um, I listened to it. It was awesome. Like, how can we shift our gears and put the focus on like this kid instead of working on, um, I'm going to use the example from before the dramatic event, like, how can I, you know, change my language or change this session so that we're communicating in some way, right. but also not pushing the boundaries when they're flailing on the floor. And mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, can you give me the S sound, you know? Yeah, so, seriously, seriously. Because, you know, I, I'm happy you brought that up too. Because one thing for me that's come up and we're talking about like mental health and our own work-life balance in it. I'm the same way, Kevin, trust me. I really am the same way. First of all, Kevin and I were born the same year. So 95 babies. <laughs> so maybe there's something with that. But um, when like even this week, I just found my, like my own brain. It's like, I'm overworking my brain. So I kind of imagine like steam, like, you know, those like, wrenches or the, those screws kind of rubbing together. And it's like catching on fire. Cause I'm working so hard to make each individual session individualized and making it a perfect plan. But one thing, even in the schools I've learned and I'm still learning it's a process is sometimes the session really just a hundred percent needs to be child led and you just go with the flow. Like we say, it needs to be play-based, child-led and everything, but seriously, one time, um, actually this week, one of my students, he has autism, and it was really clearly a bad day, but I was just happy that he came to to the clinic room with me without crying, or he was actually being really, I hate to use this word, but compliant, like he was following me and everything. And we spent most of the session looking, we have this cool like little fish take with like fake fishes and um, bubbles and they change different colors and everything. And I did therapy right there. We just did therapy in the break room. (laughs) And it was a great, it was one of his best sessions, honestly. So as far as flailing on the ground, yeah, that is, that's always hard. I still try to have a whole bunch of different options for toys. And again, just let them have at it. Cause at the end of the day, I'm learning that it's still intervention. I'm still doing something with them as a skilled and trained professional, even if it's not like X, Y, Z, this is what I had on my intervention plan. It's still, I'm still doing auditory bombardment. I'm still doing parallel play. I'm pretty much doing everything that I would tell the parents to do, but I'm doing it in the session and then telling them this is exactly what we did. This is what you should do at home. Right. So yeah, I'm even thinking back now, one of my uh, supervisors at the adult uh, rehab center, I actually learned, which has helped me in goal writing, but to make my goals, I'm talking as broad as possible Mm -hmm. um, category, you know, we're working on, we'll stick with the adult example. If we're working on, um, let's say problem solving tasks, like you, you can put that in the goal, but you know, just put it in as an example. Um, but it's just like, yada, 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 uh, will execute cognitive tasks, which is again, helped me with my efficiency. And also like you said, like you're leading or you're having the child lead, or in this example, the adult can work on whatever, Mm -hmm. um, because that day, it may be, like you said, where it's just like, all right, let's look at a fish tank. 
following directions may not be on their IEP, but I mean, yeah. they're doing a great job with it. So it's broad target that. So that's yeah. another thing that's been helpful. So I'm learning a lot in my CF, but uh, you have a question later on on how Asha and um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, to let's get into it. Okay, let's <laughs> let's get into it. <laughs> so um, we talked about earlier. I kind of introduced you as being a minority within a minoritized group. So we know that Black SLPs are three percent of the field. It's ninety six percent white. So black so Black SLPs are three percent, and then on top of that, you're a Black male. So how has that experience been for you, just integrating into the field and even in grad school? Yeah, I, like I told you, I didn't know much about speech therapy heading into grad school. So like yeah. even when I was applying, when I was doing my application and doing my paper, I was just trying to look up cool speech pathology terms so that they would be like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Right, right, right. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't really looking at the numbers. So when I first got into the program, I was like, whoa, 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 this is, mm -hmm. wow, this is a lot. So I'll, I'll say that it's, it's lonely. I mean, it, it, yeah. to be honest, it's lonely and you've experienced it when you don't see someone that looks like you. I mean, it, it's not the same. And I did a, like I had a diversity education or equity and inclusion for my college and it was at the time right after Ahmaud Arbery so still mm. the pandemic we we're trying to like get into clinic mm. and stuff like mm. that but wow. really tried to challenge my classmates um, because Melanie it, you have you put up those numbers you have those numbers and when someone walks into a room um, one of the first things that you want to do is find someone you know. And right, right. When, and even if you don't know anyone in the room, you try to find, all right, does this person have, you know, the same hair length or right. whatever? Right, you're looking for familiarity. Right, right. And it's, it's, it's something that I thought about whenever I would enter a room. Um, and during this DEI campaign, um, I was telling my classmates, like, the struggles of just being black, like forget being a male. I actually had two other males in my class. So that was oh, like the largest good. number we had. Yeah, that's, in, that's incredible. <laughs> but like just being black and yeah. you see a sea of white, it's like you, you try to find a balance, but it's two things happen. One, you know, that population or those individuals can seek you out and it's like, oh, you're different. Like, come on and right, uh, right. we'll embrace you. But then it kind of gets close to, you know, that like savior complex right. uh, if we're not mm. careful. And then the other mm -hmm. spectrum where it's like, oh, you see some differences, like we'll, we'll just let that black person be in their corner or whatever until they approach until us. Until they're but, comfortable. Right. right. Yeah, and yeah. I know that's not racing through everyone's mind, but still it's something that I think we all think about when that happens. So grad school was hard, especially navigating a global pandemic. I mean, just seeing everything that was happening on the news, everything hit home because he lived in Georgia. He was about my age. And so I was really trying to press on my classmates and I'm getting a little bit into like why I'm doing the singing SOP, but I created a song and you'll have to check it out. You'll have to check it out on my YouTube, but I created a song and it just goes over like how living in America is for my people. And a lot of people, it resonated and started conversations, but I'm, I'm getting deep, but just, no, sure. it was difficult. And now like into an open place, I should say, cause you know, we go to grad school and we're kind of like sheltered. We have our yeah. 25 to 40, you know, classmates and, you know, we feel safe, but you know, we're now in the big open world and things that we talk about in grad school and we could have all the preparation in the world, but 
now it's like, all right, this is application. And um, I don't remember having conversations about, you know, why this parent doesn't want their kid to right. see me because of the color of my skin. And it, it's, it's a harsh reality for us. And, you know, I just have to remind myself that not a lot of people are gonna like us, even forget the skin color, but just because of think, the things we say, a lot of parents may not want to hear that, you know, their kids mm-hmm. fell below the threshold and they need speech services. So I remind myself of that and try not to be quick to anger, or quick to think that like, oh man, they don't like me because of the color of my skin. But I mean, we do have to have that in the back of our head. I mean, we're having so many things loaded on ourselves. So like (laughs) trying to figure out, you know, the best treatment for this kid, trying to make sure that I don't say anything that may sound like, oh, he's showing his blackness. Like, I don't want that therapist. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, it's a lot lot of of emotional toll. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, there's just a lot of good conversations we're going to have on why I'm trying to educate people and especially parents on like how hard it is. And those microaggressions just, I mean, they ultimately turn into macroaggressions Mm -hmm. just like right in front of your face. And it's like, well, I thought I was having a good day, but right. You know what I mean? And then it's even harder when you have to leave that. I'm guessing you might be talking about like debriefing a parent and then going on to your next session. And so it's even harder when you have to debrief with a parent. They might give you a micro or macro aggression. And then it's like, all right, well, let me put back on my happy face for this next kid who had nothing to do with this interaction. Yeah, that is a challenge. Trust me, I'm still learning to navigate it myself. Um, So, you know, just, just know that we're literally all in this together. All Black SLPs go through the same thing. Um, This is my first time in a setting where there's actually not, I'm actually the only Black person in my setting too. And the only Black woman in my setting, I actually went to the Christmas party and there is one other Black woman. There weren't any other Black people really. There's one Black person, but he was the wife of one of my coworkers, I mean, the husband of one of my coworkers. So yeah, And, and sadly, no, no, we didn't. I'm ashamed to say, no, we didn't speak to each other. Cause it's one of those like large kind of corporate vibe parties. So it just wasn't, it just wasn't the energy. So yeah, I do know it's very isolating and I'm sure during 2020 with Maude Arbery, yes. And George Floyd and being the only black man who, you know, in those situations were specifically targeted in those situations. And I'm sure everyone was looking at you and you kind of had to navigate the energy of that being in that setting so yes and then now you're a cf you're out of grad school now but that's still it's still traumatic honestly like it's still traumatic it just kind of carries with you so i am going to be interested to talk to you and to see just how you continue to navigate that and even heal from that moment and everything i do think it's great that like you and i can definitely learn from this just having the mindset of, okay, it's not always racism. Let me not be so quick to pull out. It's the racist thing. It might also be other things going on. That's something I'm learning in my setting too. Okay, maybe it's not because I'm black or maybe it's not because I'm not bi or that, because I'm bilingual, but I'm still learning Spanish. So my Spanish is not perfect by any means. So sometimes parents make a face or they just kind of seem poker faced or something. Right. And I'm I'm automatically like, is it because I'm black and I'm speaking Spanish? Is it because, you know? Right. So, so speaking of making changes, what changes would you say, just like from all the experiences, what changes should we make in the field or that you would like oh, to see? Girl. Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> girl. I think Asha she did a pretty good job, especially with George Floyd and you know, standing with our black men and women, people of color. I think they did a good job with the resources they put on the website. I wasn't able to take a look at their actual Instagram and other social medias, but I assume some of the things they put on their website, they put on social media. But I remember they did a good job there, but I just kept on thinking, Melanie, there is always more we can do. And One of the reasons why I bring this up is I noticed a trend when I started getting on social media and trying to do the singing SLP. 
I noticed that like when like the pandemic happened and we were all inside on our phones, like we were able to repost and be able to educate as black people educate our white allies and advocates about the struggle and about police brutality. But I feel like with any event, you go through, say, two months, even Breonna Taylor, you go through two months or three months, and then it's, all right, let's not talk about it. Or we'll just talk about something else because racism isn't alive anymore. Right. But I, I think one of the fears of our white advocates and allies is cancel culture. And I'm not a big fan of cancel culture, but it's like, all right, let's not talk about blackness. Let's not talk about microaggressions until we get to February. And then we can post everything that we need to. And again, I'm not calling out Asha. I'm just saying, what are some of the things that we can start doing? So this is talked about every single day. So yeah, I think that there's a fear of cancel culture and it's like, ooh, I don't want to say this. I don't want to make a mistake and have to learn from it. And I want to tell my white advocates and allies that like this is a learning process and there shouldn't be a fear of trying to learn more about us and our culture, but there also needs to be a balance where I think Jordan JRC, the SLP, put out there that like, we also shouldn't be the ones trying to grapple all our colleagues and like, oh, hey, come on, come on. Let me educate you. Come around Black History Month. Like, let me talk about, like, no, we shouldn't have to do that. You know, I think there should be initiative on Asha's side, on our white advocates and allies to be able to take up the mantle and be like, hey, these numbers are not right. 3%. Melanie, right, That's, for years. Yeah. I mean, it's been for years. So I like a couple of things I've thought about and I got to do some more research. Maybe they do have some sort of initiatives like this, but it's in representatives that go to Title I schools. Mm. I feel like with all the money that the world has, all the dues that we have for Asha, I got mine coming up. So I know I got to... <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, there has to be a way um, to provide some resources to have representatives that go to these schools and talk about speech pathology. Yeah. Uh, again, another one of my whys that come up, um, I'm telling you, I got like 400 whys. You know, our young Black men and women, they they have dreams and aspirations of being doctors, you know, sports athletes and all this this stuff. And it's like, I remember I was like, yeah, man, I want to be a doctor. Like I had a black pediatrician, rare of its kind. You don't see a lot of people in that position and just like in speech therapy. But I mean, the same could be said, you have a speech pathologist that comes in on career day and it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, me as a black person, I can... I can go to grad school and it's like, I know for a fact we have the capability to provide these resources for the, the underserved, even uh, as far as I wrote down, like for these representatives to go to undergrad schools and do recruiting. I mean, religious groups, they do it on, on the campus and you see people do it for fraternities and sororities. I mean, Mm -hmm. all right. So careers, and I know they have like career days and stuff like that, but I don't know if they're going to, you know, HBCUs. Cause I, again, I didn't hear about speech therapy, like for real Melanie, I did not hear mm-hmm. about it until I was like 21, 22 years old. So just think about all the other black men and women that see these great jobs and careers, doctors and nurses, but like they don't know about speech pathology and when they do, they don't have the scholarships. So, which gets into my other point, ASHA scholarships, Yeah, you know, the national black speech and language association, they have scholarships and, and I know ASHA does as well, like minority scholarships, but they have like MSLP, I think is right. Right. Yeah. Like keep pouring it out. Keep. Yeah. Let's, let's keep it going. (laughs) Let's keep it going. Yeah. Seriously. Um, 
So, you know, I, that is another, I wouldn't say dream. I, we're going to make it happen. I guess that's yeah. one of my things I envision, you know, a couple years from now where, you know, I can be a voice and tell Asha like, Hey, this is great what you're doing, posting, but we need, you need your numbers to get up. You have SOPs serving black children. I mean, that's, yeah, it's plain. Yeah. So like, why yeah. don't we have people that look like us to, to help with that? And, you know, I had a mom the other day, she was just like floored. She was like, oh my gosh, I'm just so happy that, you know, my son is able to have another male figure and, you know, he's black, you know what I mean? And again, when we think about speech therapy, we think about like language goals and articulation goals, but we're counselors, we're you mm-hmm. know, healers. And yeah. when young black girls see you, I'm sure they're like, oh my gosh, I, I feel safer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, there's just a lot I put down for funding, more scholarships, more DEI campaigns. And that goes back to my first point where it's not just settled and nestled in February, but like, right. yeah. I, I, I should hear from Asha and um, hear from programs that are having like classes, mandatory classes, not just, you know, every trying to think of my school, Radford did a really good job. We had an actual class that was dedicated to social services and it helped that the professor was phenomenal. She was black Mm. and we talked about microaggressions and the LGBTQ community and just a lot of diversity. But I question and wonder, is that happening in other programs? Even if it is, is it just one class, which is great, but like one of those summer classes that flies by. Yeah. Um, like let's let's have it implemented into these college programs. Like, okay, we need to have a course, a three hour credit course where we talk about diversity, we talk about microaggressions, code switching, mm-hmm. all this stuff that I'm not saying that my white advocates and allies, my colleagues like don't know about, but if they're more educated about it, it's just beneficial for us all because they're able to quickly know, okay, my kid is code switching and you know, it, like we do assessments, they're able to have that information. So I just think that's important, but yeah, yeah, a lot, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I'm sitting here just just even brainstorming right here with you. And also you, Radford, is Radford in California or is that in uh, Georgia? That's Virginia. Yes, Virginia. Okay. Hours away. Cause I'm thinking about, um, you mentioned Jordan and I know she went to a school and she's, she's going to laugh at me right now, but I know she went to a school in California. And so she was just saying different microaggressions that she had to experience, but just, just to touch on the fact that a lot of programs don't have a lot of like cultural responsiveness or anything right. like aspect to it. That's why I ended up going to an HBCU back to back. Uh, so I went for undergrad and I went for graduate school. I was going to go to a PWI. Actually didn't get into any of the PWIs that I applied to. I got into Howard though. And then I was going to reapply for the like one of the same PWIs, just raised my GRE score. Right. But thank God I ran into someone while I was applying and she actually went to Howard for the grad program. And I told her that I wanted to close the academic achievement gap and serve black and brown kids. She said, Howard is the school for you because if you go to this PWI that you want to go to, they might have one class on it, but it's not embedded in the curriculum. And, you know, basically what she was saying, it's not taken very seriously. It's one class just to have the check off their list that they have it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and we can go even deeper into that conversation, but that's going to have to be another conversation for another day. Maybe of you. I, I wanted to for undergrad to at least go to Morehouse but it just didn't happen but um yeah I'm I'm envious are you thinking about a PhD maybe when I'm like 50 60 you said 50 60 years (laughs) old (laughs) what maybe nice and settled you know getting ready for retirement (laughs) 
Does that, I guess I'll go back for the PhD now. You might you might change your mind. You might be surprised what comes to you. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the singing SLP. What was the inspiration behind it? And also one thing I wanted to know, like your background in singing. Okay, I'll tell you, I do not know how to sing. I just say I do and I can't hit any high notes or anything like that. But part of the reason why I made the singing SLP is there is this, another patient of mine, I was in my, I guess, fall rotation, but we would do home visits and it was a family friend of the supervisor that, that I had. So shout out Mama Terry. She, mm -hmm. so she took us to her house and she just told us like, this lady is very sweet. We're going to work on, you know, some memory strategies and stuff like that. And so I get in, the, in there and I guess in grad school, I like tinkered with just singing, but it was just like me studying and that would help me study terms. And um, I would just make random raps to like cranial nerves and I'll just be like, oh yeah, yeah. And it helped me. Uh, so yeah. anyway, um, got in there and we finished like interview, like our informal assessment. And I asked her, I was like, oh, I see you have Frank Sinatra music. Like, what's your favorite song? And she was like, the L one. And I was like, the L is for the, and we just started singing. So it's the, one of the like top reels that I pinned. And people just started asking me like why I started singing. And I just saw her face and it was like so happy. And just for her to be able to use that expression and I know she had some word finding difficulties, but like mm -hmm. with the song, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. fluid as ever. Um, so I know we have different techniques like the melodic intonation therapy, but one of the things that was unique for me and like I told you with studying, it was just super easy for me to create a song or create lyrics where I could memorize something. So we look at the cranial nerve song. Uh, we have what, oh, 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 to touch my, or to feel my very good Vegas or something like that. There's that okay. where um, it's like olfactory optic. I totally forget what it is, but I know when I created my song, I was like, oh yeah, optic or uh, olfactory is smelly. So, I, you know, asked some of my classmates, you know, if they um, listen to music um, when they study. Some people don't, but Melanie, I mean, if you think about music and you pulled a thousand people, there may be someone that absolutely hates music. I would have to talk to that person and just see why they don't like Yeah, music. I was like, let's, let's unpack this. <laughs> right, right. For the most part, music is just it's healing right um, and like you can learn lyrics and if you sit down and actually listen to the lyrics of some of your favorite artists it's like whoa okay drake you just went there yeah he always um, snaps <laughs> I, love so, <laughs> I i thought about like how i can kind of set myself apart obviously being black being a male that sets me apart but um how can I provide education about speech pathology, providing resources for diversity, equity, and inclusion? And I just thought about like, well, I love music. I love to sing. So why don't I just mesh that together? So early on in my post, you would notice that I was kind of all over the place. I didn't really have me singing or like any lyrics. It was just just random posts um, just to make people smile. And that's the main goal. But now I'm starting to find my stride where it's like, okay, I'm just going to create songs like I have always done. And hopefully this helps people. And I've gotten some great messages. It warms my heart to see grad students say, oh man, the cranial nerve song, like this helped out so much. And Melanie, we have to know so yeah. much. I mean, like, yeah. oh yeah, the oh my gosh, I just can't even get into brain anatomy. It's so complex, but um, to see those messages, it's like 
That's perfect. I mean, you're finding a fun way to learn about something. And um, I'm kind of going into your question about like what what I see myself doing for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not really like a target audience because I want to do like songs for the pediatric population, like the ABC song, but it's like rendition to a Justin Timberlake song, you know what I mean? Versus for adults where it's like, all right, you can say more, more, more or whatever during feeding on the classic Whitney Houston song. I will always love. Uh, uh, yes. Random <laughs> songs. Um, but I was asked a couple of days ago if I see myself as Miss Rachel. You know who that is? Um, yes, yes. A parent just told me about Miss Rachel. Yeah. Right, right. And so she has some great stuff. I want to be the singing SOP, Kevin Simmons. Miss Rachel is great, but I see my track a little bit different where it's like songs and lyrics that are just entailed for the person who needs to learn about articulation, the person who wants to sit back and enjoy random songs about, you know, emotions. It There really isn't just a focus on speech therapy, but it's, I'm making it as big as communication takes us and takes us as far as sign language. And, you know, I would love to collaborate with individuals on Instagram to do a sign language video where I'm singing with my terrible voice, but I try to tell people whenever they say, oh, I can't sing. You think your boy can sing? (laughs) I promise you, Melanie, I would not be here. I would be with Justin Bieber. Right. (laughs) You're like, I don't get paid enough. (laughs) Right, right. Sing. And like, um, I guess my slogan is uh, let your voice be heard. We all have stories. And I think music is something that unites us. No matter if you listen to pop, rock, uh, whatever genre, music, the vibrations, even if you can't see it, you can hear it. Even if you can't hear it, you can, you just feel it, right? Yeah. Um, So that's why I've, I've always loved music. My dad he would always play like Earth, Wind and Fire, like the classics, Melanie, the classics. Yeah. yeah, I just want to bring people together. And through that, I'm able to, just like uh, with our kids, you know, they think, oh, we're just playing like, nope, I'm gonna teach you, you know, about these strategies. And I'm gonna teach you about why code switching important for us. So like, I'm gonna do a little rope-a-dope and just, you know, educate people on some stuff that needs to be talked about. That's something I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, um, especially with your collaborations and just like how you mentioned, kind of, kind of in the realms of what Miss Rachel's doing, but of course your own spin on it. I think that's something that's very needed. Another thing I'm thinking about is I coach a lot of people for the Praxis exam. And so they're always like, oh, if I could just think of a song or something like that. So I'll definitely be pointing them to your page. And I would love to do a collaboration with you in the future with that. Oh, absolutely. Well, we have been talking for an hour. We can literally talk all day about the changes that we can make and just with everything, really. But is there anything else that you would like to say for the speech community? Or even Black male SLPs? Yeah. Being Black is hard, as we've discussed. And for my black male SLPs, it can be lonely, but as you discussed that, like, we have our people around us, you know, through social media, through knowledge that even though it's a small percentage, there are people out there that support us and want us to do great things and knowing that we're going to do great things. Um, And you asked me a question on my why, and that's... I love that question. That is, uh, I'm so thankful you asked that. I just want to remind people for in the SOP realm, our black men and women, if you go back to your why, like this right here, this conversation just reminded me of like, man, I was exhausted. Kids coming back from New Year's, oh my gosh. And it it was tough, but like... (laughs) Yeah, I look back, I'm like, man, through it all, through the tiredness, um, like my why 
having those kids smile, communicating, and a lot of them excited just to like see me. It it's easy to remember and it's easy to put your best foot forward when you find your why and remember your why. So a lot of individuals like my best friend's mom, um, the lady at the physical therapy office, my reasons why I love and enjoy people and their stories, it just drives me. So I just want to tell anyone out there that remember your why. So glad Melanie asked me that uh, because that will take you even further. It will take you to places you never thought you would go and then it'll even take you even further and then you'll remember oh my gosh this is this is it this is why i'm going down this journey this is why speech pathology is so rewarding even when it's hard i know my people are out there supporting me i know i'm doing this for my person or my action uh this is my why so again thank you so much for having me and asking that question that I, I'm telling you, I've smiled ear to ear just because I was so excited to hop on this, um, to actually meet you. And uh, yeah, you have great content. So I'm excited. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. And seriously, likewise, you, you know, I've been sitting here smiling ear to ear too. Like this has been an amazing conversation. Where can people find you if they want to reach out to you, ask you more about your content, any services that you'll be offering in the future? Where can they find Kevin? You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at The Singing SOP. And go over to my YouTube. That like yes. that way I can be able to make longer music videos. Um, I did like a speed round of the Cranial Nerve song on Instagram. So yeah, you can find me on YouTube as well at The Singing SOP. And like you said, we're going to be collaborating Yes. Melanie, there's going to be a lot of good songs, a lot of music videos. So um, I hope people are excited to learn. I mean, that's learn and listen to music. I mean, that's fun to me. I definitely hope to have you on here again. And yes. everyone, please reach out to Kevin. Please go to his YouTube channel. It's incredible. You. Yeah, you do not want to miss out on that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, family, that's the episode. What did you think? Wherever you're listening, I'd appreciate if you left a review. Your feedback means a lot to me and helps me find more ways to help you on your journeys. If you're looking for more ways to expand your cultural compatibility in your clinical practices, follow me on Instagram at Pediatric Speech Sister and check out my newsletter for more show updates. I'll include all these links in the show notes. Until then, I'll see you next week.